0: has paused again, but the story isn't quite over. Motley Fool Money starts now. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Deidre Willard here with Motley Fool Analyst Bill Mann. Hi, Bill. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Ditter. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Bill. We have to talk interest rates. I think in the past you've called the Fed's ability to change interest rates kind of a sledgehammer. This time, the sledgehammer remained on the shelf, but Chairman Powell made it clear uh, it's not being put away yet. So we've got two meetings left in the year. What happens for it to kind of go back in the shed for a while?
1: Well, so obviously they're paying a lot of attention to the the um, rate of inflation and. Mm You know, a lot of people point to the, the the core rate as being above three as being a problem. I actually don't think that it is because so much of that is energy, and there's exactly zero that the Federal Reserve can do about uh, oil and gas costs. Uh, ultimately, I think that they're looking at a lot of uh, a, a lot of different measures, but maybe may, maybe most importantly, uh, they are looking at the type of capital formation activity, and you know. Whether that has slowed down, and you know, it really had on on an equity level, uh, but we've seen just a little bit uh, of the animal spirits come out after the ARM Holdings and uh, you know, and Instacart IPOs in this last week. That suggests that we're still a bit in a risk on environment. So the Federal Reserve looks at a lot of a, a, a lot of things and a lot of the data that is not necessarily available to us, mm-hmm. but. At their core, I think that inflation and the rates of employment remain to be at the you know at the center.
0: Yeah, and the the jobs market's slowing, but but still pretty good. The two percent thing, Powell is is determined to get to that level, which uh, which which you know do, do you think that that's really realistic at this point?
1: I you know I don't know. It, <laughs> How's that for a great answer? Hey, <laughs> let's go to somebody, some guy who knows things. Yeah, I don't know. But I think I don't know is actually a pretty good yeah. answer. Because you have to remember that from 2009 until 2022, we were at the most accommodative rates environment that has happened in 900 years. And... Which is kind of a long time. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's really important to note that when you know in 2020 there were 17 trillion dollars of sovereign debt that was negative interest rate earning. People and entities, most likely banks, were paying for the right to loan money to somebody else. That uh, the technical term for that is weird. That is a <laughs> weird situation, and so we don't really know what is going to happen in. A market environment when you have come out from a negative real interest rate environment, it just it hasn't happened before. So, I think that they've done a really good job in waiting for real inflation to happen and then attenuating it. I mean, people have laughed about the potential for a soft landing. I really think that they've done a pretty good job, particularly when I when I've called it a sledgehammer in the past. It's this: nothing that the Fed does goes directly into the market. It takes about nine months for it really all to flow through. So not only are they guessing every time they go to the rate board, they're guessing based on information that doesn't even exist now and won't exist for another 270 days.
0: Not not an easy task. One of the things I thought was interesting was that Powell was asked about whether or not slowing consumer spending is something the Fed's looking at. He said no. It seems like that that part of it, the the inflation they look at, but they're a little bit more like laissez-faire about the actual consumer spending.
1: Yeah, I think that they probably, well, consumer spending is a very much a lagging indicator. Probably they are Mm -hmm. a little more interested in the fact that consumer loans and credit cards and auto loans, the delinquency rate has gone up. Very fast, so consumer loans are uh, approaching six percent now, which is a place it hasn't been since about 2012, uh, which was in the midst of their big rate-cutting environment. So consumer spending isn't the top of the list but the consumer lending or consumer spending within the context of how much debt consumers have and how much stress they are under very much is but it's a lagging indicator so again going back to that 270 day thing that's something that doesn't you know the impact of what they have done in the past probably hasn't hit consumer tendencies and activities just yet
0: let's take a little look at the sort of like larger picture uh Bank of England they also paused their rates they had 14 increases in a row they're seeing some signs inflation is slowing not the same in some other places uh including Turkey as as investors you know we're mostly focused on what the Fed is doing but how, how much should we think about other banks around the world
1: well I mean the dollar has been strong against every other currency in the world for about the last six years which which makes it really interesting to think that in 2017 there were a lot of people who insisted on being paid in euros and then mm-hmm. paid in other currencies outside of the U.S. The reserve currency here in the U.S. has been a, a, you know, a very dominant theme internationally. It is a blessing for us that all of our debts are do- denominated uh, in an instrument that doesn't move in every other jurisdiction, even the big ones like the Euro, you know, the, the Eurozone, the, the United Kingdom, even China. you know So much of their debt is dependent upon the movement against the dollar. So, when you see uh, the Bank of England deciding to, to, to cut rates, it is making a call uh, essentially on the value of the pound sterling as much as anything else, and what they would like to see is for the pound sterling to, to rise against, a bit against the dollar.
0: Let's turn to some earnings. We don't have a lot of earnings this week, but one I wanted to talk about was FedEx because you know it's interesting. I see it a little bit for a symbol of uh, how e-commerce and shipping in general are doing. Revenue still down. But man, they are they are just they're cutting their way through. Uh, operating income was up twenty five percent. I mean the consolidation is good here, but how how much can they cut? Like how how small can they make this business?
1: So. I think that there are probably two questions here. The first of which is, are they cutting services uh, in order to get to those savings? So back in back in uh, I think it was March or April, they they unveiled a program called drive and it was essentially a program that was going to take uh, FedEx Freight and FedEx ground and FedEx air and all of the different entities for FedEx that had worked basically in their own fiefdoms and integrate them into a single company and they thought that there was a pretty substantial number of efficiencies that they could ring out of that I always question whether a company if they're ringing efficiencies out that always kind of rings an alarm bell for me like mm-hmm. like this is not something that you noticed earlier, that (laughs) that this was something that maybe you should be doing all along. So, be that as it may, it seems like the cutting that they're doing for things that people as customers don't necessarily uh, sense Mm -hmm. has gone pretty aggressively and and pretty well I don't I don't actually get a sense other than that top line number that says that there are six percent fewer things be you know six percent less revenue and that's not because they've been dropping costs. I mean the they are as inflationary as every other company in that space they have raised their prices, so for there to be six percent fewer revenues uh suggests to me that you know that that maybe they're operating in you know in in an environment where they have bid fewer large shipments and you know and contracts ones that they would have taken in the past that would have been lost leaders or at least at least something close to break even, that maybe they are making some choice some, some more difficult choices uh, in terms of what type of market share they would like to have in the segment because it is still ultimately a growth segment.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they're not cutting prices. In fact, they're raising, I think it's about a six percent raise uh that goes into effect in January. You mentioned the three fiefdoms. So you've got ground, express, and freight. So freight, yeah, freight's not doing so well. Express also not doing so well. Ground doing really well. Uh margins are increasing revenue up. They uh managed to drop the cost per package to about uh by about two percent. So this seems like this is a different company now. Like FedEx, I remember the old commercials like when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. It's not that anymore, is it?
1: No, I mean that's certainly a core part of their business, but they have they they have moved much more into uh in into being a full logistics company, you know, yeah. with with less than load and full load uh applications. It was a segment I, I'm always a little bit mindful to read too much into in, in into a quarter because if you recall, we are not that too far removed from there being seventy seven ships off the coast of Long Beach waiting to wait waiting yeah. to port. So uh the supply chains uh, were so distended for 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 a certain period of time. The fact that there was a lot of shipping uh, in 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 2022 may not be a surprise because a lot of that may have been catch up. So mm-hmm. this this company, I think, like a lot of companies that provide kind of a branded commodity service, you have to be a little bit mindful about the environment that that we are in. And so I like the fact that they're they're making hard choices. It is noteworthy, as you say, that the area in which they seem to be doing the best is is their ground shipping at this point. So, it may just be that they're moving away from from bidding contracts that don't end up helping them on, on the top or the bottom line.
0: Well, and the ground thing is kind of interesting because it's their biggest competitors, UPS, and UPS just had that union deal, uh, which works out to about an average of 170,000 per per driver, pretty attractive. FedEx ground the workers aren't unionized. That's it's this sort of like complicated network of small business contractors that tie into FedEx. So does this become a risk for FedEx? Do, do they? Do some of those workers start seeing those UPS contracts and thinking maybe I need to get into a union?
1: So, FedEx is based in Memphis, Tennessee. Of course, they've got offices and facilities all over the world. Uh, It is not for nothing uh, that many of the fastest-growing states in the United States, uh, including Tennessee, are right-to-work states. And so, they do not tend to have very powerful unions. So, I'm not sure that I would draw a thread through and say, "Well, the UPS drivers are now getting X, so therefore FedEx uh, could, you know, should worry about uh, about retention." It's definitely possible, and I'm sure that there are individual decisions. I mean, why on earth would you go to work every day were it not for some form of compensation? So it would be crazy for me to say, "Well, you know, the compensation doesn't matter that much," but. <laughs> Ultimately, those two those two companies do not have the same uh, footprint with each other, and I think that that's actually pretty meaningful,
0: yeah, yeah, good point. Last sort of like thought question for you is uh, they've got a new uh, Chief Financial Officer at FedEx. You know, we all have expectations when a new CEO takes over. What do you look for when a when a new CFO takes over? Because it's kind of you you can't necessarily look at the top of the business. You kind of have to kind of look around a little bit.
1: I think math skills is at the top of the page. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, yes. You know, I think that uh, if you think about what a CFO is, uh, they are meant to be at least slightly a counterbalance for the CEO because the CEO's job, in in a lot of ways, is to be inspirational. And to have the big ideas and it's the CFOs person uh, job and in that person you want someone who is able to say you know these are the things that we can pay for or these are the ways that we can fund the things that you are talking about so uh, CFOs in a lot of ways we think of CFOs as being the number two role of the company and and it is a lot of times when you see a CFO roll into the CEO role it's it's a little bit of a tough transition. So when I am looking for a good CFO though, I do want someone who is intensely entrepreneurial, right? You you someone who has worked in an environment where there's a a lot of ambiguity. You know, they have to come up with creative ways to to push the company forward at the same time, not putting the company in a deep financial uh Situation in financial yeah. <laughs> strife, uh, which is a tough balance because it it requires someone who's able to who is able to and capable of saying no a lot because mm-hmm. big ideas and big idea people really don't want to be told how much it costs they just want it done and so in a CFO and I think that you know I I think that you're seeing this uh, with the drive program at FedEx. That's absolutely positively a CFO-driven project, you know, to get you know to to save money by eliminating redundancies. Like that's there's there's no visionary on earth to whom that's exciting, but <laughs> to a CFO, I think yeah. that that's the kind of thing that you really want to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your time today, Bill.
1: Hey, thanks. Terry.
0: Did you know most donated organs end up not being used? Tom King and I explore how Transmedics is changing the supply chain for life saving care. You and I were on the morning show last week, and you talked about a company called Transmedics. It is fascinating. It's a uh, kind of a game changing company in the organ transplant uh, industry. It's sort of weird to call it an industry, but it is an industry. And it really could make things better and change lives. So tell us a little bit about it.
2: So, Transmedics is a medical device company. They have three FDA approved devices for the transport of organs, specifically. Hearts, lungs, and livers, and the purpose of these devices is to keep these organs in as close to a body-like environment as possible during transport. So it keeps them supplied with blood. It keeps them functioning as they would, as close to what they would be like in the body. So the lungs are inflating, deflating, and so on. Um, and the purpose is just to extend, the uh, lessen the damage to the organ during transport.
0: Well, and that's really interesting because a lot of organs don't get used. And so, we think of this idea that every organ that gets donated finds, uh, you know, finds a host and and you know contributes to to someone else's life which is a great a great thing but it doesn't always work out that way so that's what transmedics is trying to solve right
2: yeah it's a pretty sad situation only about 60% of livers that are donated are actually transplanted about 28% of hearts and about 18% of lungs and the reason for this is that these organs need to be f- the the distance between the donor and the recipient has to be fairly close because there is a limit on a limit on the amount of time that these organs can spend outside of the body before they sustain too much damage to actually be useful. So the purpose of transmedics and its devices which keeps these organs supplied with blood is to extend their life outside of the body so that they can be transported further which would allow more of these donated organs to be transplanted.
0: Let's talk about the transportation part because we sort of have this image from medical TV shows of like the cooler and the person getting on a plane and you know that that is part of it and the thing that I found interesting about Transmedics is they have they're building an airline network essentially because they need to get these organs to people why is Transmedics in the airline business
2: because p- part of their strategy part of the service they intend to offer their customers is not only the actual medical device, but the whole end-to-end solution. So, actually collecting it, harvesting it, is what they call it, from the donor, mm-hmm. getting it into an organ care machine, putting it on a plane, and flying it to the transplant hospital where it's transplanted. So, they actually want to control the whole end-to-end process. Currently, they're just selling the organ care system, the device, plus the consumables that go along with that device. But they are trying to move towards a total end-to-end solution. So that's why they need planes because they can't rely. It's unreliable. We all know how unreliable domestic planes can be these days. Oh yeah. And um, apparently, it can be similar in the charter airplane industry. It, charter planes might not be available, or whatever the case may be. So they say we need to have these. We have this. We need to have this infrastructure in house so that it's available all the time.
0: So this is still an emerging market. Uh, there's clinical trials involved with the stock, and of course, there's some volatility priced in here. I noticed that there was about a $60 per share difference between the 52-week high and low. So, if if you're an investor, should you prepare for this to be a bumpy ride going forward?
2: Uh, yes. Well, the, the 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 focus right now is is this transportation part of their business what mm-hmm. they're calling the national ocs program which they commonly abbreviate to nop so that is going to be going to require a lot of investment to set up we've spoken about how they're buying planes they've yeah. bought two so far i think they intend to add between 10 and 15 more over the next year so that is certainly going to be a lot of expense plus hiring of all the people to fill out that team. We're also dealing with a very heavily regulated industry. There's only one entity, uh, these these um, organizations called organ procurement organizations called OPOs. They are the only entity legally allowed to harvest organs in the United States. So, they sort of, as far as I understand, they kind of outsource this responsibility to transmedics when they hire transmedics, so they can kind of transfer that but right. What we have to appreciate is that this is a very heavily regulated industry, and um, you know, if if regulations are are negative for Transmedics's business, those could happen.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot that needs to, a lot of investing needing to happen. So uh, in terms of profitability, it's running at a loss. It's been pairing some of those losses back, but would we expect this company to to run at a loss for a long time? Do you see this sort of as a growth company that will just that has to have losses for a certain amount of time?
2: Well, I mean things have certainly improved. They had their their first product was their OCS lung, their lung transport machine, which was approved in 2018. Um, so, they started earning some revenue from that. And then they had two devices improve, approved in 2021. So, that was the OCS heart and the OCS liver. Mm-hmm. So, once the revenue from those devices started coming in, the profitability picture improved significantly. It went from sort of sort of the minus 60% to, I think, about the 20 or so, around about now. So, it improved significantly. Um, but they are still um, very much in the investment phase with regards to NOP.
0: Makes sense. So uh, I can understand what the growth thesis here is and uh, how it disrupts the existing system. Is there anything that could disrupt the disruptor? Could it be like new methods? Uh, I know there's some research on like lab-grown organs. Is there anything else that that maybe could uh, kind of hurt TransMedics in the long run?
2: Well, there are uh, they are two competitors, to TransMedics, but they have uh, one is a uh, an England-based company, another is, I think, a Swedish-based business. They have uh, competing devices for particular organs. I think one has a lung device and one has a liver device. Mm-hmm. Transmedics is in the position of having all three devices, so they can cover this range of organs. So, that, I think, certainly nice. strengthens their position. Let's say you're a transplant hospital or an organ procurement organization. You can buy one machine from this, pe- this group and and then the two machines from Transmedics, why not just get them all from Transmedics and you're dealing with one vendor? I think that, but makes sense to me as an outsider to this industry. So, so that is, I think that make, that puts um, transmedics in quite a powerful position in the organ transplant um, industry. You know, there's this, the, the lab-grown organ industry. Um, I don't know too much about that. I do get the feeling that's, that's a pretty long way off. I think it's yeah. a pretty remote possibility of disrupting um, transmedics in the next five years. So, I don't think we need to worry too much about that. And then uh, the CEO of the company, um, he's also the founder, um, a Doctor by the name of Walid Hassanain. He's been with the company since 1998. Um, he seems pretty committed to the company, but you know, um, he could always he could always leave. There's all sorts of reasons people might decide to leave, but it, it seems like a, a pretty remote possibility to me.
0: Yeah, definitely sounds like a really interesting company with uh, lots lots ahead of it
2: yes, we we recommend it in a couple services. i th- I think it's it's certainly doing a lot. It's a, fixing a a painful problem for people. it's It was really shocking to me when i was when I was researching this company with, was how few organs are donated. That was really surprising to me. I always thought the constraint was not enough donors, but that is part of the problem. But another massive part of the problem is that donated organs don't get to where they get to recipients. So it's it's helping to solve that problem. And I think that's a good thing.
0: Awesome. Thank you for breaking this one down with me, Don. Thank you, Deirdre. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Deidre Willard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.